Welcome to the Ship Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, October 2nd. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the fourth quarter of 2020. Can you believe that? And actually, it's the first month of fiscal 2021 uh, in terms of the federal government's budgeting year. You know, in some ways, it feels like that 2020 has lasted forever. In other, in other ways, it's flying by. Um, it's like, where has this year gone? The big news today is that apparently Donald Trump has tested positive for coronavirus. I don't know if that means he, if he's symptomatic or if it's just a positive test or what. The uh, stock futures are down quite a bit on the news. It'll be interesting to see how the markets play that today. But, I, I mean, really, I don't have a whole lot more to say about that. As far as gold and silver go, uh, they have both clawed back this week after the pummeling that they endured over the last couple of weeks of September. In fact, this morning we're back above $1,900 an ounce for gold, and uh, silver is knocking on the door of $24 an ounce. Uh, One thing to note, speaking of silver, the silver-gold ratio has spread significantly again. It's hovering just below 80 to 1. Now, keep in mind, the modern norm has been between about 40 to 1 and 60 to 1. So we've returned to a situation where gold has his is historically significantly underpriced compared to gold. Uh, If you're not familiar, the silver-gold ratio basically is just the number of ounces of silver that it takes to buy one ounce of gold. So it's a way to show the relative pricing between the two metals. The gap closed quite a bit in August. We were actually historically high back in March. We were seeing like 100 to 1 plus silver-gold ratio. Um, In August, it dropped or yeah, in August it dropped down to uh, a ratio in the high 60s to one. Now that still indicated silver being a bit undervalued, but now we've returned to a more significant spread. Now that tells me that this dip in silver is probably temporary. Keep in mind, silver is typically more volatile than gold, especially in the short run due to its role as an industrial metal. But at its core, silver is a monetary metal just like gold, and it tends to track with gold over. Over time. So if you're bullish on gold, given the silver-gold ratio, you should be really pretty bullish on silver right now as well. So looking back over the month of September, as you know, it was pretty tough for precious metals. Gold was down about 4.2% on the month, and silver got really pummeled. It dropped 18% in September. But if you take a step back and look at things uh, over a little bit longer time frame, things are a lot less bleak. Gold was actually up about 6% in the third quarter. And even with that massive September sell-off, silver was still up 27% on the quarter, and it outperformed all of the major stock indexes. Speaking of stocks, uh, there's a similar story there. Stocks were down modestly in September, but up on the quarter. In fact, pretty much all assets were up on Q3. And of course, a lot of that has to do with the massive amount of stimulus money that the Federal Reserve and the federal government have pumped into the economy. 
Now, the dollar was the mirror image of precious metals and equities. It was up on the month of September, but down on the quarter. The dollar index gained nearly 2% in September, but ended down just over 3.5% on the quarter. So we kind of had this this inversion in September from the trend we saw over the broader quarter. And, And really, dollar strength was what put the big drag on gold and silver. So looking ahead, the question you have to ask yourself is, do you think the dollar will continue to gain ground? As I talked about last week, that seems to me pretty implausible given the rate of money creation that's going on right now. As I reported last week, for five months in a row, we've seen a record increase in the money supply. Of course, Peter Schiff has been talking about a dollar crash, and interestingly, he's not alone in being bearish on the greenback. There was an interesting op-ed published by Yale economist Stephen Roach. Now, this guy is maybe on the fringe of mainstream, but he's a Yale economist, so he's still pretty mainstream, right? We're not talking Alex Jones here. He said we could see a 35% drop in the dollar in 2021. That would put the dollar index barely above 60. That all-time record low was uh, just above 70 back in 2008. So he's talking about the potential for a really huge drop in the dollar. Roach talked about a lot of the same things you've heard on this show. He lamented the low real savings rate in the U.S., exacerbated by the rapidly expanding national debt. He called the confluence of an erosion in domestic savings and the current account deficit or the trade deficit as, quote, nothing short of staggering. Roach noted that the Federal Reserve will exacerbate the rapidly destabilizing savings and current account imbalances with its 0% interest rate policies and its new average 2% inflation targeting. Here's how Roach summarized his argument, quote, This new bias toward monetary accommodation effectively closes off an important option, upwards adjustments to the interest rates. That is long-tempered currency declines in most economies. By default, that puts even more pressure on the falling dollar as the escape valve from America's rapidly deteriorating macroeconomic imbalances. In short, the vice is tightening on a still overvalued dollar. Domestic savings are plunging as never before, and the current account balance is following suit. Don't expect the Fed focused more on supporting equity and bond markets than on leaning against inflation to save the day. The dollar's decline has only just begun. End quote. Of course, this is extremely bullish for gold and silver. It's a big part of the reason I think rumors of the gold bull run's demise that we've heard over the last few weeks are vastly overstated. And on top of that, I think it's almost certain that we're going to get more stimulus. As I talked about last week, if you listen closely to Fed Chair Jerome Powell and other key figures at the central bank, it's clear they remain all in on stimulus, despite rumors you've heard about maybe they're getting a little more hawkish. You know, no. They would prefer Congress to pass another fiscal stimulus bill. That's true. But when you boil it all down, fiscal stimulus is monetary stimulus. If Congress spends more, it will have to borrow more, and the Fed will have to monetize all of that debt. In other words, we're talking about more money printing. Now, 
Congress seems to be talking about stimulus again. Who knows if they can get a deal done with the political situation being what it is. But I am almost certain that even absent action from Congress, the Fed will do what it can to keep the bubbles inflated. If stocks start to fall significantly, mark my words, the Fed will up QE with or without fiscal stimulus from Congress. I want to talk a little bit about jobs today. We're going to get the September labor report this morning. The expectation that I've seen is for about 800 to 850,000 jobs to be added. That's a slowdown from August, but still it's positive. And I think the spin is going to be that the labor market is improving. People are going back to work. We can see light at the end of the economic tunnel, blah, blah, blah. Now, if the report comes in better than expected, we're really going to see a lot of optimistic spin. I I guarantee you that we will see the stock market pop. Uh, You might see gold and silver sell off a little bit. If the jobs report comes in below those expectations, then, uh, you know, we'll get the doom and gloom maybe. But I think really, and I'm not sure that this particular jobs report is all that important. I think we need to step back and look beyond this current report. Think about this. Governments completely shut the economy down for weeks, right? Now that things are opening up, of course, unemployment is going to drop. Duh. But what is the long-term damage? That's the real question. Where are we going over the next six months? Where are we going to be a year from now? You know, despite the added jobs, a lot of people are still getting laid off. New unemployment claims last week came in at 837,000. I'm told this is good news because it's lower than the last couple of weeks, so we're having this downward trend. But think about that number. We're still well above 800,000 people a week getting laid off. I don't know about you, but to me, that seems less than ideal. And I suspect the number won't be shrinking anytime soon. In fact, tens of thousands of people are going to get pink slips in the coming weeks. Here's a quick overview of some of the announcements we've gotten over the last several days. Disney announced it will lay off 28,000 employees. U.S. airlines are poised to let go up to 50,000 workers. Allstate plans to cut around 3,000 jobs. Shell Oil plans to eliminate around 9,000 jobs globally. German auto parts supplier Continental AG announced it will cut or shift some 30,000 jobs worldwide. Halliburton, the big oil infrastructure company, plans to eliminate an entire layer of management. Marathon Oil is set to launch round two of job cuts and will shed another 2,000 jobs. And, And Goldman Sachs said it's going to cut its workforce by about 400 jobs. That's just what we've heard over the last couple of weeks. Meanwhile, politicians and pundits continue to fantasize about this quick economic recovery. I think the looming job cuts in the airline industry really tell the tale. They give us a glimpse at the underbelly of the economy. Government stimulus checks and loans kept the airlines limping along, but that gravy train is running out. Now the airlines are begging for more stimulus from Congress, and you know they may or may not get it. But the bottom line is people aren't traveling, and the debts are piling up. Airlines were barred from laying off employees under the terms of its March stimulus package, but economic reality has caught up. 
Bleeding red ink, the airline simply cannot afford to keep thousands of people on their payroll. According to a Forbes article, as the next staggeringly sad chapter of U.S. Airlines' COVID-19 saga begins to unfold, it's becoming increasingly likely that at least one and perhaps three or more airlines will be forced into bankruptcy or alternatively into financially and strategically dubious mergers just to stay alive. In the second quarter alone, U.S. airlines combined lost $13 billion, that's on a uh, accounting basis, and it blew through $15 billion in cash reserves. Q3 will likely produce similar numbers. Now, airlines have already shed tens of thousands of jobs by coaxing employees into early retirement or enticing them to voluntarily separate from the companies. According to Forbes, the industry could eventually lose more than 100,000 jobs. A transportation economist told Forbes it could take five or six years before we see a return to passenger traffic and revenue that the industry saw in 2019. Five or six years. So that kind of gives you a glimpse of what's going on with the economy. It's not just bouncing right back. We're talking about a long-term, slow, laborious recovery. And that, my friends, gives you a glimpse into just how badly the economic shutdown has damaged the economy. It's not just airlines either. Small businesses have been decimated. Many are hanging on by a thread thanks to loans. But at some point, the debt burden is going to catch up with a lot of these companies. The energy sector has been pummeled. The entertainment industry crushed. Brick and mortar retail obliterated. Let's talk about retail for a second. 2020 is on track to set the record for the highest number number of retail bankruptcies and store closings in a single year. Now, I knew it was bad, but until I read this, I had, hadn't really grasped just how wrecked the retail industry is. In the first six months of 2020, 18 retailers filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, with an additional 11 filing in July through mid-August. Now, the defaults were concentrated in apparel and footwear, home furnishings, food, and department stores, and we're seeing big names go under, including Pier 1, J. Crew, Neiman Marcus, Stage Stores, JCPenney, Tuesday Morning, GNC, Lucky Brand, uh, Brooks Brothers, uh, Asena, which is Ann Taylor, Loft, Lane Bryant, Justice, and Catherine's, uh, Lord and Taylor, Tailored Brands, which was Men's Warehouse, Joseph A. Banks, Moore's Clothing, and uh, KG, and then also Steinmart. And, and you know, this, if you look at this, I mean, this started in early 2020. So it gives you a glimpse at another ugly truth. The economy wasn't exactly healthy before coronavirus. Now, I know retail is a, its own animal and, and it's been, you know, uh, struggled to deal with Amazon and, and whatnot. But still, you look at all of these bankruptcies, things were not good before the coronavirus. And I've talked on several occasions about the fact that the Fed had pivoted into rate cutting and money printing last year, long before the pandemic. And that kind of gives you an indication that the economy wasn't rip-roaring. And, and Peter Schiff made a good point during a recent interview on RT. You know, people are debating about a V-shaped recovery or a W-shaped recovery. I heard a new one, a K-shaped recovery, which is where some groups prosper and, and other people remain mired in economic misery. 
Peter said it doesn't matter what letter you stick in front of it because it's not any real recovery. He said, sure, there has been a recovery in the stock market in that the market recovered what it lost in the early days of COVID. And yes, this recession that we're currently in began with a very substantial collapse. And yes, there's been a bit of a bounce off of that collapse. But we're still in recession. So I don't know if recovering to being in a less severe recession than we were at one point really qualifies as a recovery. And that's a pretty good point. And again, I think we were teetering on the brink of a recession even before the coronavirus. So all of that said, you're going to hear a lot about jobs, jobs, jobs today. Just keep in mind, a lot of people are going to be losing their jobs in the months ahead. We're not about to turn the calendar to 2021 and economic prosperity. I think people who are selling gold and silver right now are foolish. Now, that's my opinion, of course, but I think it checks out. Of course, sellers create buying opportunities. If you want to take advantage of that, you can talk to a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist today. Just call 1-888-GOLD-160, or you can email them at info at shiftgold.com, and they can talk to you about how precious metals can fit into your portfolio, into your long-term financial planning, and and how you can deal with uh, what is ahead on the horizon. So that is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week at shiftgold.com news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. Uh, it may be on Amazon. I'm working on that. Uh, you can check it out on the Shift Gold YouTube channel. Links to all of this stuff is on the show notes page. I appreciate you listening to the show. I hope you have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you next week.